Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is brought to you by ManyTrix, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. We'll talk more about them during the show. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page and for other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Gigi, and today I'm joined by Rob Griffiths. How are you doing, Rob? Pretty good, John. How are you doing? Very good, very good, sir. Um, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Um, we've actually you know, been in touch on and off for years, and um, I, I keep a close eye on uh, on the things that you uh, mess around with, including things like uh, ooh, Frank and Max and stuff, uh, which is a, one of those things, and um, also more recently, uh, cloud stuff. And uh, I... Um, was hoping to sort of bend your ear a little bit about some of the, the some of this with regards to the history of cloud, cloud storage, and kind of like why we are the way we are with cloud storage right now, like both of us. Alrighty. I guess I just wanted to start off with um, defining what cloud storage really is, because it's one of those things. I I, um, I think some people sometimes think of things like uh, Backblaze and um, what's another one? Um, different backup mechanisms. Oh, they're in the cloud. That's cloud storage. Well, it's not really, and so. I guess I wanted to start there. So sticking, starting with the basics. Uh, so I see cloud storage as being uh, like a single common, single source of truth for uh, as a storage location for files of any kind. And they can be accessed from any device provided that device has a network connection to the internet. Um, if there's no network connection, you can still modify those files if they're synced locally and then they'll automatically update once you're reconnected to the internet. I kind of see that as like the basis of like that's the minimum that you need to be cloud storage. But there's other few things that are nice to have. I think uh, nice to have in the cloud storage are things like uh, multiple historical revisions of every document so you can go back and re- recover if you have to delete something accidentally or modify something accidentally. Uh, and another one is that um, it's another nice to have, I think, is that it's highly redundant, uh, maybe with a distributed architecture like a CDN. Um, how, what do you reckon for that as a, a starting definition? I think it's pretty good. It's uh, it, it covers a, a variety of the reasons why we use it uh, both for many tricks and and I use it personally. Um, and the to me the redundancy is nice and the always having it there is nice. Like I, I mean I used to be paranoid going on a flight somewhere. I'd have I'd have my MacBook and I'd have a USB stick with the critical files on it, uh, just in case they got claimed or the radiation scanner zapped them but then i would also put a copy in a, in a cloud so that if i got to my destination and the worst had happened i could get them back so i like that kind of that the files are everywhere <clears throat> and yet they're also locally mirrored so you aren't it's it's not like a it's not like using a netbook where nothing is on the machine and everything's on the internet you uh at least the way i use my clouds the the files are stored locally and then essentially the changes are synced back if you will when, when you save the files out um, which to me is kind of the best of both worlds because I have local access speed and the ability to change the files in, in real time and not have to depend on my network connectivity. But then when I'm done, everything gets uh, sent back to the cloud. So it goes to all my devices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, um, I, I've got to admit, um, the flash drive is an extra backup uh, as an extra personal local backup. That's, uh, that's a pretty interesting idea. I, <laughs> I don't think I travel as much as you do. Um, 
but <laughs> I um yeah that was that was my old days I used to travel a lot more I don't I don't do that anymore and now and now I I trust the cloud enough now that essentially I'll just throw a copy in the cloud and leave a copy on the machine and call that good cloud trust trust faith in the cloud <laughs> it's all good I um okay awesome so I guess I just wanted to quickly point out again that it's uh, like it's it's really it's not a backup and because I nope. yeah because I mean if you delete something it will sync that delete. <laughs> And if you, right. so it's like, hmm, hang on, that's not really a, what a backup's supposed to be. Anyhow, and uh, I guess I was having another think about um, more recently things like network attached storage. Uh, so let's see, like uh, Synologies or um, Drobo's yep. or, you know, there's actually quite a lot now. It's It used to be a niche market, but it's become a lot more democratized these days. And um, so the problem with that is that most NASA's, well, okay, most traditional NASAs acted as a uh, so like a storage on your local network and not really external, externally accessible. The funny thing is these days uh, you can actually get things like a uh, like a Western Digital. Uh, I'm thinking of the MyCloud, uh, and there's a whole bunch of different yep. ones. Just that's the one that I've got actually. And uh, funnily enough, just about a few minutes ago, I just remembered that I had it, so it sits in a corner. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so but yeah, but it, it punches a hole through the firewall and connects up, and you, can, and you can actually get files remotely as well. But but I don't know the definition of whether that's genuinely cloud storage, and I suppose technically it is. But if you've got a NAS that's not internet accessible, then technically it isn't. And I and I think that synchronizing with one of those things is different. It's kind of like it's a data store not so much a synchronize it's harder to synchronize to it like something like a dropbox solution i guess right yep okay so um the thing with cloud storage it wasn't always called that or wasn't always thought of as that so i thought it might be interesting just to go quickly through where it started and how we got to where we got to uh so like technically i guess file servers and centralized computing you know with servers and terminal clients sort of aspects of that started in the late 70s but once the internet really took off the idea and the goal changed. And so I guess if you look back at the the first the first big notable entrance in the field based on the criteria of what we said, like this is what cloud storage is, uh, we have uh, Box.net and now they, they changed their name, now they're just Box Inc. Uh, that was in 2005 and they focused on um, business users. I think they are still pretty focused on business users, to be honest. We had a brief flirtation as in the company I'm currently working for. Um, we had a brief flirtation with, uh, with Box and yeah, it was it was okay. It kind of worked, but um, yeah, it, it also kind of didn't integrate all that well with Office three sixty five, and they ended up pulling the pin on it. So it was one of those misadventures. But oh well, um, not my money, not my choice. But never mind. Um, so yeah, Box is Box. Um, Dropbox, I think, is the one everyone knows. Certainly in our circles. Yep. Yeah, and that was uh, originally funded, I think, by Y Combinator. I think, and um, that was in two thousand seven. And they offered both personal and business op- options, but um, they're sort of like when I when I think of cloud storage initially, that's what I think of Dropbox, and it's almost become you know like a staple because I mean I'm we, we, I share uh, some of some of the podcast files, for example, editing between different different co um, hosts and such, you know, syncing on Dropbox for years, so it's sort of it's been around. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that really helped to take off, at least in terms of the Mac side of the world, is uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, they were really the first one that came out with an integrated Finder extension sort of thing, so that your your Dropbox folder didn't it just looked and acted like any other normal local folder on your machine, and and, and uh, it, 
and it had then they added selective sync so you can choose what gets synced and not synced to all the machines so you don't have to keep a copy of 400 desktop images on all your machines if you don't want them so that it just the ease of use of dropbox is what i really remember from when it first came out was like oh i install this thing and i have my files everywhere and it and it, it just works i mean it was really seamless and simple it was it was it was brilliant for the time yeah, absolutely. And I think it had the leading feature set for the longest period as well. And I think a lot there are some solutions that have caught up to it, but there are still things that the Dropbox have has like um, being able to go back through previous revisions and undeleting deleted things, um, which is still not necessarily available on a lot of other offerings. So yep. yeah, I'm kind of I'm still still very impressed with Dropbox uh, to a point. <laughs> To a point. Uh, so yeah, I still have it. I still use it, but I used to put a lot of stuff on there and now I don't so much anymore. I've only got a handful of things and usually it's for synchronizing certain uh, like keychains or applications that support Dropbox as a, uh, as part, right. yeah, as opposed to let's just put any old file up there. So uh, I just wanted to put a, an honorable mention in for um, Amazon AWS uh, S3 uh, and that was in 2006. Now I know technically that wasn't really... Um, it wasn't really until Amazon Drive came along a few years later that it, it sort of, you know, and it, it's just the, the data store that's backing Amazon Drive essentially. But, you know, the fact is that some people started using AWS um, as a uh, S3 as sort of a, a rudimentary cloud storage. But that was in 2006 and it was certainly not nothing at all like Dropbox and didn't have some of the features that we talked about. So that's that. Um, uh, Google Drive, of course, that's another one. Of course, everything, everything Google's got a version of everything. <laughs> even if it's not necessarily as good, but never mind that. Uh, actually, I, I think I should probably stop there because the list is pretty long these days. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's just stop there. But I did want to actually also mention um, Apple's history because I think it's actually really interesting to see where Apple started. And I thought back to the beginning and pre my Mac days, and I think you've been a Mac user longer than me. So um, uh, hoping you can... Uh, uh, help a little bit with this one. So going back to the very first offering, I think in 2000 was iTools. And yep. Yeah. So what's your memory of iTools exactly? Um, Cause you, you were, you were playing with iTools Man. back in the day. <clears throat> yeah. I, uh, I have only foggy memories of it. Um, collection of internet enabled suite of tools to help you use the internet. But I honestly cannot remember much detail at all about iTools. It's 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 getting foggy back there. Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. I I know only what I read. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> it's it's funny. I was digging out some old um uh some old. Well, I was doing research for the episode, and I was looking into uh, iTools. Um, there was a, a couple of uh, articles by I think it was David Pogue, and um, I was looking through them, and uh, there was a screenshot, and it's a it's a Google's it's a Google book Google Books thing. Uh huh. Yeah. And there was a screenshot in there of. Uh, uh, of iChat and um, in the contact list there was uh, Jason Snell in there and a few other people's names that I remember and I'm like oh back in 2000 right that's right so you go <laughs> way back there and it's like yeah these guys have been around so um, anyway as it was it was very uh, nice and nostalgic even though I wasn't sort of involved at the time but anyhow uh, so back at iTools they introduced the at uh, mac.com uh, email addresses which I still see some people have um, obviously I missed out on that because I wasn't around at that point on the Mac uh, they, as you mentioned, they had uh, a few different things, including a web host, a web page hosting offering. But the part that I really was interested in, obviously, and not i not iCards, not not so much interested in iCards. I actually did know what iCards <laughs> were, and I'm like, well, okay. Um, anyway, uh, is iDisk? Yep. So iDisk actually started out with, and this is like, wait for it, 20, <laughs> 20 megabytes. 
So I, yeah, okay. So because we actually, um, we, we had, the, it's it's weird, you know, sometimes uh, we when I work, um, sometimes, sometimes at work we have some very old machines that we're designed, we're tasked, I guess, with uh, maintaining, fixing when they break. And um, it just reminds you how old you are when they say, yeah, we've got another broken 10 gigabyte drive. And I'm like, we've got a, a 10, a 10, what? A 10 gigabyte? How old is that drive? And it's like 10 years old. Like, oh my God. So whenever someone says that sort of size, you're just used to, okay, I'm just going to go and buy a four tera drive now. And I've got an eight tera um, storage um, external drive on my, my desk physically right in front of me. And yep, 20 meg iDisk. Hmm. Anyway, so yes. Um, and later on, you could expand that to 400 meg which is still crazy. But anyhow, it's fine. It's good. Uh, so that was back in 2000. And it and the thing that made iDisk unique at that point was that it fully integrated into the Finder in OS 9. So, yeah, kind of like you were talking about with Dropbox. It was, uh, yep. yeah, it was really heavily integrated into the operating system and made it so easy to use. Uh, a couple of downsides, it was Mac only. And that's only a downside insofar as Dropbox is any old platform. Um, whereas... Uh, the initial offerings weren't. And that's okay. This predates Dropbox by a long way. Okay, so that was uh, that was iTools. And um, people generally liked it, I think. And I don't think that there was a cost if you had the entry level, 20 meg. But if you went to the 400 meg, it was like a dollar a meg a year or something like that, which if you think about it, it's actually really expensive. Um, but anyway, so then of course, there was uh, the dot .Mac, which was the next one along. And that was in 2002. So what they did... Um, go Apple was they took their previously free tier of iTools over uh, and for a subscription price and that was when it went to I think it was $100 a year which again at the time was pretty expensive but the good news is that um, it launched with a maximum of one gigabyte of storage and that, that's more like it yeah. um, 2007 they bumped that up to 10 gig of storage for individuals and 20 gig uh, for a family pack and that was the way it was until the infamous uh, Mobile Me. And uh, who doesn't remember Mobile Me? Because that's actually when I, <laughs> that's when I actually came on board with the Mac. So um, I was, I, I first got involved in the Mac in two thousand and seven. So I came on when Mobile Me came on, and uh, it had a bit of a rough start, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It was, uh, it was kind of a mess, as I recall. And when did that? I was like, when did that start? Two thousand. It was called I. I mean, two thousand. Oh, here we go. Uh, two thousand eight. Yeah. I guess is when Mobile Me came around. Um. Yeah. I, I. I've been. I've had a. I have a dot Mac. I have Mac dot com email address. And I think actually. I don't know if that still works or not. I mean, it's still valid today, and and I think it all just maps back to the whatever's current. So I don't know. You might try yours at Mac dot com. It might just actually work. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, I remember. I remember Mobile Me being. A somewhat uh, confusing transition from iTools or .dot Mac or and I was .dot Mac was before it, right? Yeah, when iTools .dot Mac briefly yep. for a few years and then Mobile Me. Yes. So yeah, so that was it. So when I joined, um, I might actually try the at Mac .dot com and see if it works. But um, what I've got is I've got my um, my email account, which I'm not going to say, but anyhow, at me.com. <laughs> uh, although admittedly, it's it's harder for um, spam bots to scrape audio than it is to scrape a website. So that's okay. That's Any, true. Anyhow. Uh, but yes, yeah, so um, just not taking any chances. So um, at me.com me was, because uh, it's funny, I should go in there and I say, what's your email address? And so that's the one I use for like my personal stuff. And yep. yeah, so I'll go and I'll say, blah, 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 at me.com. And they look at me funny. And I'm like, 
<laughs> is that really such an odd email address? Apparently, anyway. Um, but look, I, uh, I, yeah, it was rough in the beginning. It was really unreliable, and uh, I think the service, the syncing service um, behind it, had all sorts of issues. It would go online and offline, and my my remember it my my recollection, sorry, I should say, of it was when Steve Jobs came out to announce um, iCloud, and he sort of like said, um, "Why would you trust us? You know, we did mobile me shrug." <laughs> you know, and it's like I kind of like that. It was like an admission that, yeah, we messed up, but hey, this is better. Yeah. You might ask, why should I believe them? They're the ones that brought me mobile me. <laughs> it wasn't our finest hour. <laughs> Let me just say that. But we learned a lot. Regarding the cloud storage part of it, which is all I'm really interested in at the moment is uh, that had doubled again pre, pre, um, based on uh, .Mac. It was now 40 gig. So it's starting to get up to reasonable sort of you know storage capacity there. And, and then, of course, we have our current offering, and that's iCloud. And the thing about iCloud, when I was doing the research for this, I've forgotten just how long we've had iCloud. So yeah, it was actually late 2011. Well, right, because they, they had... Um... Yeah, God, it has been that long, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, amazing, eh? Hey, Tom flies. And and because when they started iCloud, they gave everybody iCloud.com uh, email addresses as well as uh, you could keep your existing, you know, at right. me.com. So I've actually ended up got – I actually have two, and they both sent to the same inbox. So they're, you know, one's an alias. It's all good. Um, but, yeah, me came first. Uh, anyhow, and the funny thing with iCloud when it started was that originally it offered – they remember they called it uh, Documents in the Cloud – Yep, and uh, if I remember correctly, it was at that point that they ended iDisk. So iDisk was no longer uh, available around about 2012. It wasn't straight away; it was just afterwards. And I wasn't really heavily relying on iDisk for anything. I'd sort of like, yeah, that's a thing. Nod, great. I wasn't really using it. <laughs> um, but documents in the cloud was more like it was in like embedded storage, so you couldn't actually easily get at it. If you knew what you were doing, you could get at it. But it wasn't. It was designed to. I'm doing a document on pages, or I'm doing a you know numbers or keynote or whatever, and it would right. and it would take care of that for you. That syncing between devices for you, which was really the, its intention. But iCloud Drive, as we know it today, didn't actually launch until 2014. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's it's full circle if you think about it, because the original version of this was you had a local synced folder on your desktop, and then that went away, and, and it became only like within Pages or whatever app you'd see something that was stored in the cloud, but you couldn't see that on your hard drive just on your Mac. And now we're back and we have iCloud Drive so we can finally see the things that are there again, as well as having within pages or whatever uh, cloud-based document-centric storage. And um, I, I know Apple's tact here is to help people who, you know, you, you can't lose a file if when you open pages, it tells you here's what you've been working on and, and they're in the cloud and you get them from anywhere. I get that. And for people on mobile, I think it makes a ton of sense. But as a desktop person, I hated not being able to, so much so that I tended, that's one of the reasons I moved towards Dropbox was it gave me what I wanted. I had projects in the cloud, but I could still see them locally and not within only the application I chose to create them with. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 uh, I think you nailed it too with that, that full circle thing because I was sort of struggling with exactly, it seemed, it seemed odd, but yeah, you're right. They came completely full circle. They started one way and then went back and we finally got iCloud Drive back again. Um, in a matter of speaking. Uh, but the funny thing is that when it launched, um, it initially offered 20 gig, uh, 
which was less than right, the right. mobile meal. <laughs> and then and, and then they offered a tier and they started stepping it. So you went to, there was 200 gig, 500 gig and one terabyte. So I mean, that's serious. Uh, but the one terabyte tier was $240 a year and which was really expensive. But then again, it's a heck of a lot of storage really. Uh, and for the day 2014, that was reasonable, but there were still people out there doing more than that. Um, but still pretty decent. Uh, these days, I think it was in oh, mid last year, so mid 2017, it would have been, I think, uh, they made it two terabytes for about $120 a year. And yeah, yeah so it's, it, it can, it's come down a lot. So I've doubled the storage, half the price, and, and that's fantastic. Uh, but oddly enough, the free tier is still five gig, which it's, is, it's a joke, which is what it's, it's a bit much, isn't it? I mean, you could you could buy a 512 gig iPhone that comes with five gigabytes of free storage for your iCloud photos. Like, come exactly. On. I mean, it's like if you take one video and right. you're, sing, you're doing iCloud, like one video at 4K at, at 30 frames a second, it doesn't take a heck of a lot of minutes, and that five gig is gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then of course, once you once it fills up, it's like, oh no, sorry, I can't sync anymore. You know, yeah. I'd like to I'd like to help you, but. Yeah. God, it's frustrating. <laughs> so I um and and I've got a bit of a story about that. I'll get to that later. But um anyhow, so um so there's that. And uh and in 2017, the other thing they did was that on iOS land, uh they changed it and called it uh, Files, not iCloud Drive. <laughs> which sure. which I guess that's fine. Yeah, you know, but it's the same thing, just different name. And the integration with the OS was was quite good. Um, it, it is quite good now on iOS, but not much has really changed on the desktop. It's still just a it's still just a folder in the sidebar, just like iDisk used to be, and yeah, and that's great, right? So, yep. this episode is brought to you by Many Tricks, makers of helpful apps for the Mac, whose apps do well. You guessed it, Many Tricks, and their apps include Butler, Kimu, Leech, Desktop Curtain, TimeSync, Moom, Name Mangler, Resolutionator, and Witch. Now, there's so much to talk about for each app. We're just going to touch on some of the highlights for five of them starting with which. You can think about which as a supercharger for your command tab app switcher. If you've got three or four documents open at once in any one app, then which is beautifully simple pop-up quickly lets you pick exactly the one you're looking for. Recently updated, you can now also switch between tabs as well as apps and app windows with horizontal, vertical, or menu bar switching panels with text search for switching. You can also show the frontmost app in the menu bar icon. It now has touch bar support and much, much more. Name Mangler. Now, you've got a whole bunch of files and you need to rename them quickly, efficiently, and in large numbers. Well, Name Mangler is great for creating staged renaming sequences with powerful rejects pattern matching, recently enhanced, showing you the result as you go. And if you mess it up, just revert back to where you started and try again. Moom makes it easy to move any of your windows to whatever screen positions you want. Halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen, and then you can even save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto-arrange feature when you connect or disconnect an external display. It was recently updated to be even faster with touch bar support and keyboard integration with Adobe's apps. It's the first app that I load on a new Mac like my new MacBook Pro because it's just awesome. TimeSync. You can track your time spent in apps or activities on your Mac in the simple and easy way using TimeSync. You can pull your apps by common activities, create custom trackers for non-Mac activities. It's simple but powerful reporting features shows you exactly where your time went so you can plan better and stay focused. Resolutionator is so simple. It's a drop-down menu. 
from the menu bar and you can change the resolution of whatever display you like that's currently connected to your Mac. The best part though, you can even set a resolution to fit more pixels than are actually there. It's very handy if you're stuck on your laptop and you need a little bit more screen real estate. Now, that's just five of their great apps, and that's only about half of them. All these apps have free trials, and you can download them from manytricksalloneword.com slash pragmatic, and you can easily try them out before you buy them. They're available from their website or through the Mac App Store. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a very special discount off of their very helpful apps, exclusively for Engineered Network listeners. Simply use Pragmatic18, that's Pragmatic the word and 1-8 the numbers, in the discount code box in the shopping cart and you'll receive 25% off. This offer is only available to Engineered Network listeners for a limited time, so take advantage of it while you can. Thank you once again to Many Tricks for sponsoring the Engineered Network. Right. Who knew there was so much to say about cloud storage? Um, okay. So criteria then. Um, cost per terabyte of storage. I suppose that's the obvious one. Uh, with the cloud storage, you've also got speed of access. And you also have uh, things like using a content delivery network uh, and or resilience. And there's also security of the data. That is to say encryption on the disk and end-to-end encryption in transport between your computer and the cloud storage. So one of the things that I got thinking about a lot more recently, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why um, uh, Snowden's sort of sort of thing that sort of you know, lots of stuff got out there, and there was also um, uh, what was that? Uh, there was a few years ago, and the U.S. government was approaching all of the um, major uh, like Apple and Microsoft, and I'm trying to remember the name of that that scandal where they were asked oh. they, they were demanding backdoors. Do you remember? Yeah, that? I can't remember the name, but yeah, I do remember the scandal. Yeah, that. So it's like that's become much more of a thing. So people realize that, oh, hang on, we, we've trusted these cloud service providers. Do we really trust them? Um, who's looking at our data? And I mean, and, and people do the whole Google thing and say, yeah, well, Google's Google's looking, thumbing through all my emails, so it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, hmm, doesn't it? Okay, anyway. <laughs> so um, never mind. So, uh, so cloud storage, I guess, uh, from a security point of view, like any other cloud storage service, the question of cybersecurity definitely has to has to be considered. And the cheaper or freer, and I say freer because nothing is truly free, you're always giving up something. Um, the freer the service, the more likely your data is being scraped and used for, well, goodness knows what by goodness knows whom. Um, so governments can force those backdoors into servers and installations and you wouldn't really know. Uh, if you're installing it on a server from a Linux distribution, you know, you might think, oh, well, I've got control of that. And, you know, normally, let's say, if you go to a, uh, a VPS provider and uh, virtual private server and you install a Linux image that they provide, then you don't know what they've done to it first. If you don't compile it from source, then you don't know what they've done to that. Um, but then again, if you do compile it from source yourself and you're, it's also probably unlikely that you're a developer that can go through every single line. So you can't be absolutely sure that there's nothing in there that there shouldn't be. At which point then you put on a tinfoil hat and you sit in the corner. It's sort of a balance between how much you know or and making it harder for others to invade your privacy and I guess also managing your own paranoia. I don't know. What do you think? It's an interesting question. It certainly came up with us because we Peter is our my business partner and the founder of Many Tricks, and he does all the programming, and I do 
pretty much everything else. Uh, <laughs> and then we work together on product idea and design and, and, and he implements and I support. But anyway, we share a lot of our files, including our source files, are on a, on a cloud server that both of us can access. And we originally, uh, we were on Dropbox and uh, it was working fine. We had some concerns in that what we really wanted to be was on Dropbox's business plan, but that requires, uh, they, they force you to pay for a minimum, of, I believe it's five users a month, uh, and we have two. So okay. it was going to cost us a lot of money to be on their business plan. So we were on sort of the shared personal plan, which doesn't actually exist. It's just one where you have one login and you both share it. Um, okay. And it was okay. But uh, the other thing that concerned us is, it was our understanding at the time, and I'm not sure if this is still true, I think it is, that although your files are encrypted on Dropbox, Dropbox does have the ability to decrypt them if they are required to do so. Um, mm -hmm. We had read that those keys are stored somewhere safely at Dropbox, but uh, it, and it's not like we're doing anything bad, but it's like we just didn't weren't comfortable with our source code potentially being available if somebody had those keys. So... Okay. It was it was a concern for us on the personal level. Um, I, I also had some concerns in that one of the things I'd like to put on on our shared online cloud is uh, sort of financial documents, receipts, and Quicken files and such, such that I can work on them from anywhere. And I, I really don't necessarily want that data becoming public. So it was definitely in the back of my mind. But I, I still use Dropbox for years until fairly recently, and now I'm, I'm much like you. I use it for those apps that require. Um, or offer a cloud service, but the only one they seem to support is Dropbox, then those are the files you'll find on my Dropbox. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I um, it's so I guess, um, so from your point of view, it was a, a combination of two things. So the first thing was it was uh, the cost of the minimum number of users you had to have uh, in, a, in a business plan. And then the other one was the, uh, the security of, of, of sensitive data. So yep. Okay, cool. Um, so my story is sort of similar. Um, I guess um, from my point of view, I uh, all right. Hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself just slightly, but um, I just want to make sure we quickly talk about something else, which is the choices that you get if you do install your cloud server. Like you get a lot more options. Like if you could sign up for Dropbox, then you don't know what countries they're putting their seat. They may or may have a content delivery network with with servers all around the world. They may not. Um, you don't know where they put where they where they put what they put. So you've got no visibility of how of the security of the servers, like where they are. So at least when you do your own, you have that choice. So you can choose where you host it, like what country, what service provider, um, even if you if you use a virtual private server or not. I mean, you may not. Some people have actually installed something like uh, Nextcloud, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, and and they do it on a Raspberry Pi, and the Raspberry Pi is plugged into the internet at home and. It's running Linux and and it works. Um, you know, you, you may choose to do it as a CDN. You can you can set up your own CDN if you want to. It's actually become a lot easier these days. But um, uh, or you can just have a single server. Maybe depends on what you want to do. Uh, or you can choose what level of RAID you want to have. If you want to have just RAID RAID because uh, that's what I've got in my case. I've just got a you know a RAID sixty uh, VPS. But I don't bother with the CDN um, and it works fine, right? Then you can choose what operating system to run it on. And most of the stuff will run on Linux, of course. Um, some of the different services run on different platforms. But on Linux, you've also got a whole bunch of different choices. You can go with um, you know, something like Ubuntu, which is more mainstream, or you can go with uh, something like CentOS, which is a little bit more enterprise Linux um, hardened and, uh, and so on. That's, that's what I use, but in any case. So diving into 
uh, which one we're using. So I think we're both using Nextcloud. Is that right? It is right. All right, cool. So let's talk a little bit about Nextcloud and what that is. Um, I, and you got to start talking about Nextcloud by talking about own cloud because that's kind of that's the that's where it started and then it went a bit strange. So <laughs> we'll start with the yeah. So OwnCloud was formed in uh, January of 2010 by a guy called Frank Kulishchek. I'm really mangling that name. Terribly sorry, Frank, if you're listening. Anyhow, um, with a first beta about two months after that, but in uh, 2012, they formed OwnCloud Incorporated. Uh, Now, everything sort of like went along, quote unquote, fine until about April in 2016. So, you know, six years and a bit after they, they formed, Frank basically essentially forked uh, own cloud source and went on his own with a group of the original developers following him. So there's clearly some disagreements internally uh, in within own cloud at that point. Uh, and there was some business structure decisions that they'd made between two different countries. Like there were two different, you know, it's ugh, anyway. Um, but either way, whatever you want to believe happens, um, you know, that, that's up to you, I guess. But in the end, um, over own cloud and next cloud went their own separate ways. And uh, I actually found a podcast um, that I've that it's made four episodes, so I don't know if they're going to make any more. The last one was December of 2017, uh, called the Self Hosted Web, and they actually had an interview with Frank on it on episode two. I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you want to have a listen to Frank's side of it, then um, get his take on what happened. Um, it, it's uh, it's interesting, if nothing else. But in any case, um, dig into it if you're curious. So Own Cloud has two components: is a standard edition. And in, which is open source, like fully open source, and an enterprise edition, which isn't technically open source, but the source can still be downloaded if you want. Nextcloud has one version, it's open source, that's it. Now, as of the time of recording, um, which is the end of September 2018, uh, they've just released uh, Nextcloud 14. Now, uh, I'm still running Nextcloud 13, I've been waiting for my invite, and you want to know the funniest thing? 10 minutes ago, I saw my <laughs> iPhone light up, it says um, Nextcloud uh, 14.0.1 is available for you to upgrade. And I'm like, yay. I, could, I mean, I could have gone in and manually updated it, right? But I was waiting for my invite because, I don't know, I guess they're like sending out invites incrementally so they don't overload the, the servers downloading the latest copy or something, I imagine. I don't know in any case. Um, so when you look and do a comparison between Nextcloud and OwnCloud, um, as far as I can tell, the only real thing that OwnCloud has got over Nextcloud is that uh, it supports over 100 languages, uh, whereas Nextcloud is only supports about 30 or, or so. But other than that, in every other respect, Nextcloud has more features than OwnCloud. So to my eyes, what seems to have happened is that OwnCloud is sort of is happy with what they are and is just making it a, like more broadly applicable to the world to the greater world. Um, but they're not really adding new features a heck of a lot. And whereas Nextcloud is just going pedal to the metal and adding all sorts of apps and integrations and new features. And they seem to be releasing releasing a new major version every year or thereabouts or less. And um, the amount of market share that they're getting uh, is, is going up so much faster. So when most people talk about Nextcloud, I don't know how many people are actually using OwnCloud anymore. Most people have shifted to, to Nextcloud. And I, I never used OwnCloud. But the funny thing is in the command line, when you type in some of the command line commands for Nextcloud, they still say OCC, which is OwnCloud. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, mm, 
I'd just like to uh, thank you for giving me a to-do because I realized that I was a bit behind the times. <laughs> so well, which, which, which to do our Nextcloud server? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what what Nextcloud version are you still are you running? Uh, one that's something less than thirteen and higher than eleven. <laughs> oh, so I we're see. In, we're, well, in, we're in twelve. <laughs> okay, then. Well, Which, fair enough. Tip to be fair, it was only like July of this year was version twelve oh ten, so it's not that far out of date. But I'm like, wow, thirteen's out already. Fourteen's out. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, it, they really are accelerating. And uh, uh, the other thing, though, to keep in mind is that maybe maybe they're not exactly following semantic versioning down to the letter. But uh, in any yeah. case, maybe it's more like it's Google for, version fourteen. <laughs> Google Chrome gives you a whole brand new major version number, it seems, almost every time, right? Yeah, that's true. Oh, dear me. All right. So um, so first of all, uh, my story as to why I, got, why I moved to Nextcloud. Okay, so basically um, in terms of the, the cost, so what I did is I figured out that there's a, there was a VPS um, host that has a specific kind. It's becoming a thing where you'll have uh, a storage VPS. Whereas that is to say, in the past, a VPS has been minimal storage. Usually, it's on SSDs these days, and normally it's got um, you know minimal amount of RAM, and it's it's pretty lean and mean. Whereas this is a new class of virtual private server where the accent and the focus, rather, is to say, is, is on the storage capacity, as the name suggests, not memory and not CPU like compute. So. I found one for about for sixty eight dollars and fifty cents per year, uh, US, uh, and the the stats on it, if if anyone's interested, is uh, it's one point six gig of RAM, one CPU, and that's an E five twenty six twenty, and it's got and this is the key feature one terabyte of wow. hard disk in RAID sixty, and that's sixty eight dollars and fifty cents a year. Now that covers ten terabytes of transfer. Uh, and on a four four gigabyte port with full KVM virtualization. Now, I found that was the best deal. There are other deals out there that are that are close to that, uh, but that was the best one I could find at the time. And when I say at the time, that was about six months ago. So I'll keep my eyes peeled uh, for you know stuff because I mean the cost of storage will come down. Uh, but in any case, so all right, compare and contrast that with iCloud. Now, iCloud for the two terabytes, I was on the maximum plan, um, uh, two terabytes, and it was costing me $120 US per year. Now, I, if I had my own VPS, the rationale that I applied at the time was I could install other things on it, like websites, I could put Mastodon on there, I could put a bunch of other stuff on that server because I was really only using 300 to 400 gig of that two terabytes of iCloud storage. So I was paying all that extra money for space I didn't need um, and just was never going to use. And so, and the next lowest price, uh, the next lowest tier was two hundred um, was two hundred gig. So I was stuck between two hundred gig and two terabytes. There's nothing in between, and so I figured, well, I could I could get away with this, and actually, so I pay a similar amount of money, but get a lot more flexibility out of it. Plus, I get that control back, which is another thing we'll get to. So I, um, the final straw though for me was I was trying to get my usage down below that two hundred gig just as a way of reducing my annual bill because it's like why am I you know if I can find a way to whittle away uh, like take my photo storage off of there and and a bunch of other documents and so on and so forth then I wouldn't have to worry about that so I, I sort of was whittling that down and I got it under 200 gig on the Mac mini at the time and 
It said I was on the 200 gig limit, so I reduced my plan at that point. Now, the following day, I went, when I checked, it said my storage space was now over. And it's like, but hang on, yesterday you said I was under, now I'm over. Okay. Um, and then I confirmed on all of my devices. And I just, just like shrugged and assumed that it was some kind of server lag that eventually it would show up on all of them as being I'm under my 200 gig. Unfortunately, uh, about three or four days later, I realized I hadn't received any emails. And I had a power bill that was due and uh, that gets emailed and uh, there's an, a pay on time discount with the, the email, uh, with the power bill. And so I kind of put two and two together and realized that whilst I was over the 200 gig limit, I wasn't getting emails on my me.com account or iCloud.com. And so I got onto Apple support to try and like troubleshoot the problem and say, well, hang on, I know I've got less than 200 gig in the cloud. So, you know, can you please hit the master reset button and, um, you know, reflect reality, please. But the truth was that after a few days, I just realized, you know what, this isn't worth it. I need to just, I'll stump up the cash until they get it sorted. And so I went back to having two terabytes again and so on and so forth. And I finally got my emails working again and I was able to pay my power bill and it all worked out in the end. However, so I mean, rather than take a stand on principle, which I could have done, uh, I decided just, you know, bugger it, we'll pay the money. Um, and about six weeks later, that's how long it took, Apple finally agreed to hard reset my iCloud drive storage, at which point then I was at 150 gig, which is exactly what I'd what I calculated based on what I had. And I downgraded it and I'd, I'd already shifted everything at that point to Nextcloud. So, because the other thing that annoyed me was documents on documents and desktop in the cloud, because yeah. the reporting of quote unquote free space on your hard drive was not free space. And it was just absolutely doing my head in because it, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you just can't trust the amount of free space that it says you've got. It's like either the space is free or it isn't free, you know, yeah. figure it out. Oh, man, it's frustrating. So that was it for me. I'd shifted everything to Nextcloud. And um, and uh, what I've got is uh, I've got encryption turned on on the disk. So obviously that takes up a little bit more uh, space. So uh, I've, I've allocated myself a quota of like 500 gig, uh, which takes up about 700 gig of, of, um, of space because of the uh, in- encryption overhead. Uh, but that's okay. And so I've got it running. It's a RAID 60 VPS. It runs CentOS 7. Um, uh, the server itself is sitting in the States and it's currently on Nextcloud 13. And as I said before, I've got to put go to 14. Uh, I also, something else about Nextcloud, I also installed a couple extra apps on it and I don't know how often I really use them. Probably not that much, but so Nextcloud, you can install apps to extend the functionality. So I've installed Talk, Mail, Notes and Collabra online. I don't really use it that much though, but still. Um, do you have any other apps that you've installed on on your Nextcloud instance, or are you just using it as file storage? Um, we are just using it as file storage at the moment. Um, you know, if we were larger, more than two people, we might we might do more than with that with it. But uh, for now, that's pretty much all we wanted it for. And it's been it's been working great. It's been very. Yeah, and I have to admit, when when I first started to look into alternatives, um, the whole own cloud Nextcloud thing sort of concerned me because it was kind of like a soap opera. I mean, it was really weird. Yeah. Um, but Nextcloud definitely seems to be getting the majority of the development and it's moving very quickly. And uh, I, I think 
almost by luck, I guess. I don't know. I chose the right one when I picked because it was sort of random. It's like, well, they both look the same. They're in the same source code. Um, and at the time I switched, um, they were very similar. I mean, because that was, what, two, three years ago now? Um, okay. So, no, we've been very happy with it. We love – so for us, we just actually added it to our existing web server. Um, it's been working fine. We do, we do not – I will caution that we do not um, put heavy demands on the shared stuff portion of this so it's not like it's hitting a, a big performance hit to our web server because we just transfer you know when peter has a new build he'll put it up there and i'll use it for the help files that i write or stored on the server so there's not a ton of activity and there's only two of us so we've noticed no decline in performance with our web server by having nextcloud sorry yeah nextcloud running in the background on the server yeah i was going to ask about that in terms of performance and um and what sort of server you're running it on i um the funny thing is that nextcloud has got a lot of interesting options like you can actually uh, have external storage as well like added to it so if you hosted it on a particular server you can uh, have a network attached as it were um, to another one uh, so it's sort of uh, it supports a degree of distributed um, well, it's not distributed it's uh, uh, of additional storage that you can uh, define elsewhere you can also put nextcloud on uh, physical devices within your own network if you want to and um, there are cases of people, like I say, putting it on a Raspberry Pi um, within the within their own house and accessing it remotely. But I guess my my issue with that approach is that you're still reliant on that pipe into your house. Uh, so if right. that goes down, it, it goes down. You know, so I I, I kind of look at if you're going to be serious about Nextcloud as like a, any kind of cloud storage, it really does need to be something that has high availability um, that's got you know, a, a decent RAID setup or a content delivery network, which you can't really do inside the boundaries of the four walls of your house. Uh, right, so I also did have a couple of interesting issues with it. I'm not sure if you've had something, um, anything like this. So I had, I had trouble with file locking um, where I would edit a file, uh, let's say on the iPad, and then it wouldn't let go of the file lock. And then I couldn't access that or edit that anywhere else, which... Huh. Yeah, which I'm not sure if there's something wrong with permissions because I'm running SE Linux on uh, on mine. It may be something to do with that. I I could never track it down, so I just turned it off. And every time I, I load up the Nextcloud admin panel, it says, warning, you have file lock turned off. And I'm like, yep, it's been turned <laughs> off for six months and it hasn't caused me any problems. So shrug, um, it's staying off. Um, have you any problems with that or not not at all? No, we haven't. Um, and, and maybe because we are, you know, we're essentially 100% Mac and I, I don't do any editing with an iOS device on the, in fact, I, I don't know that I've ever actually even tried to look at the files from an iOS device because um, they're all about our Mac apps and, and I don't, I don't, certainly I've never tried to write a help file on an iOS device. I think I've been exercising frustration. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, maybe okay. we're getting lucky because we are just one platform. It's quite. It's possible, uh, and I think that the way that iOS handles file locking potentially would be different from a Mac. I don't. I don't know enough about how the back end works to be sure, but um, that could be that. And um, speaking of iOS integration, actually, it just occurs to me that you can access NetCloud. NextCloud. You install the NextCloud app on iOS. You connect it up to your instance, and um, you log into your instance. And uh, at that point, all of the files are accessible either through their app or through the Files app. So, yeah, just like you would with Dropbox or um, or Amazon Drive or Google Drive, it's all it all integrates nicely. So you can I I, I use it for so I'll put raw audio files because I do my editing in in Ferrite. That it's funny now I've got a decent laptop again. Um, I could go back to editing in Logic, but to be perfectly honest, I've really gotten used to Ferrite. So I'm going to use Ferrite, but that means that I still need to transfer the audio file. So I'm I'm recording it on the Mix Pre Three, which is on a flash drive. 
So I can put that on Nextcloud and then I'll just suck that down into the iPad and do my editing and then I'll upload from that point. And it works fine. Um, the only other issue that I've had with Nextcloud, uh, I've tried to use Nextcloud for photo storage. Uh, have you tried that at all? No, it's just strictly work stuff. We do keep, we keep a lot of, um, we have a fair number of images, but no photos. Okay, that's okay. I was just curious. I, I've tried and it really struggles with the thumbnails. And so the the thing that I'm not sure how many people realize, but you know, OneDrive, for example, uh, which is the one I'm currently using uh, and iCloud Drive, the thumbnails could be stored locally and generated locally or they could be you know generated and stored uh, server-side. So the way Nextcloud does it is that it, it'll pre-render the thumbnails and keep them uh, server-side so that when you open up the app, it'll then download a local copy. It doesn't generate the thumbnails on the local device, which is, which is probably a good thing considering if I'm loading it up on my phone. Although my iPhone 10 probably had more compute power than my Mac mini did. But anyway, um, you know, it probably would have done a better job than the server probably anyhow. So um, I have had problems with it because uh, I'll go and I'll open up the Nextcloud app on iOS or or even on the web actually, and it just doesn't pre-render the thumbnails properly. Oh. And I tried a, yeah, and I tried a few different plugins for it to try and get that to work better. And uh, it just doesn't seem to work that well at all. And uh, I sort of, until they, and, and maybe they fixed it in Nextcloud 14, I don't know. But uh, until that improves, I'm going to keep my photo sync on, on uh, OneDrive. And the only reason it's on OneDrive is because I, uh, I've got my internet through uh, Telstra, Big Pond, or whatever they call themselves these days. Uh, and uh, it comes with an extra 200 gig of uh, additional storage above the minimum. I think it's the original, the free tier is like 10 gig or something like that with OneDrive. I forget. Maybe it's five, like iCloud. I can't remember. Anyway. The point is that there's enough storage there for me to put my whole photo library on it, and um, and it works it works fine. Although, admittedly, it's you know shrugged. It's with Microsoft, but you know I hope I remain hopeful at some point that I can shift my photos across the next cloud. I have got plenty of storage space, so that should be fine. So, um, to be honest, that's uh, that's the most of it, really. I think that um, I didn't have too much else I wanted to add. It was just a matter of. Um, appreciating that you don't have to actually go ahead with, um, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want the hassle. And sometimes I get this when I speak to some other people, but oh, yeah, I run Nextcloud. They say, well, isn't that a lot of hassle? Not really, no. Um, and there's uh, there's another service called uh, Cloudron. Have you ever come across Cloudron at all? No, I have not. So it's kind of like a, a package manager of sorts. Like you fire up a, you, you can um, create a VPS and Cloudron, will do all the installation updating and everything for you. And you can say, install this prepackaged app. And Nextcloud is one of their many prepackaged apps. So you don't have to know anything really about the terminal or the command line. And you can actually um, load up servers in that fashion. Whilst I would never do that, it certainly does make it, uh, it lowers the bar significantly and makes it a lot easier for people um, to actually get on there and, uh, and do their own Nextcloud instance if they want to. Yeah, because because what I would say about Nextcloud is that the the initial setup is you know compared to well certainly if you're compared to Dropbox or something it's much harder because um, it's it's running on your own server your subscribed server and you will probably have to use a command line a little bit, um, but once it's running it's been painless. Um, and I forgot to mention the other thing that was really sort of drove our change is that um, a lot of these cloud providers have come and gone over the years and we had this fear that we've got our files hosted somewhere and the provider business money runs out and they go poof 
um, you know, you'll have time to get the files out, but that was a hassle we didn't want to have to deal with. This way, we figure if we're hosting the files, if we go out of business, well, we won't need the files anyway, <laughs> but we'll still have them. So, you know, we, we like that we took a third party out of the the transactions. That's a really good point, actually. I hadn't considered that. I, um, yeah, that's a really good point. I, um, I, I have to admit that uh, that sort of control. Uh, and you have the ability as well. If you want to change service providers, you can go to someone else. So, I mean, even like the extension of that is that I'm hosting it on a company called Speedy KVM. And uh, if Speedy KVM goes out of business, then I've got a, a backup of all of the data and I can simply spin it up on another instance and away I go. So I've got, you know, I've got everything I need and I'm in, I'm in much, much more control of right. that. Uh, so but yeah, there have been sync providers, um, uh, cloud storage providers that have come and gone. And uh, sometimes I'll change their terms and conditions and what you can store and what you can't store. And then there's, yeah. So I, I think that's a, a very good point as well. Something that uh, that I hadn't considered at the time. I think that's pretty much all I wanted to, to say on that. Do you have any other thoughts on uh, on cloud storage or? No, it's, I mean, I would encourage people who, who don't, you know, if, if you're not writing at least one of the free Finder integrated ones, uh, I actually, I've switched, I, I'm using Sync um, as my oh, yeah. Finder replacement for Dropbox, if you will. So I don't I don't keep most of my I, I also want to I want to keep my personal stuff away from my work stuff so I don't put my personal files on our mini tricks cloud um, I'm using sync for that and the reason I switched to sync is that they do not have the encryption keys at the headquarters so uh, once your files are on their server they are all encrypted and nobody can open them except you which is kind of cool so that's awesome yeah. So there, there is um, also an experimental, like say experimental uh, feature in NextCloud 13 for end-to-end -end encryption between your ah. machine and, and the cloud. It says, um, I don't think it says use at your own risk, but essentially <laughs> that's what they're saying. Uh, so I haven't tried it to see whether or not that's now standard functionality in, in NextCloud 14 or not, but it's the sort of thing that it is the next step. I don't think it was available in NextCloud 12 even as, a, as experimental, but it, it was definitely available in 13. So... That's also something else that I'm going to explore. You know, after I do the upgrade, I'm, I'm considering doing that as well because it's just that extra, uh, yep. extra assurance. Just got to make sure, obviously, that that um, still doesn't cause problems between multiple different devices. So between a Mac or, in my case, between iOS, probably not an issue for you, but something something else to consider that most of the other ones I don't don't think support that. So if you want to talk more about this, you can reach me at mastodon at chigi at engineered.space or you can follow at engineered underscore net on Twitter to see show-related announcements. If you're enjoying Pragmatic and want to support the show, you can, like some of our backers, Carsten Hansen and John Whitlow. They and many others are patrons of the show via Patreon and you can find it here at patreon.com slash johnchigi or one word. Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to pages of raw show notes, as well as ad-free, high-quality releases of every episode. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all very much appreciated. If you're not in a position to support the show via Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still help out by leaving a rating in iTunes, favoriting the episode or the show in your podcast player app of choice, where it's supported, or by sharing the episode on social media. It helps other people find out about the show, and that's very much appreciated as well. I'd personally like to thank ManyTrix for once again sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember specifically visit this URL, manytricks, all one word, dot com slash pragmatic for more information about their amazingly useful apps. 
Pragmatic is part of the Engineer Network, and you can find it at engineer.network, along with other great shows like Causality, which is a solo podcast I do that looks at cause and effect of major events and disasters in history, including Three Mile Island, the Challenger Space Shuttle, and lots more. Causality is on track to overtake Pragmatic in popularity, so if you haven't yet, make sure you give it a try. If you'd like to get in touch with Rob, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, mate? I'm on Twitter personally as rgriff and Twitter professionally at Tricks. Uh, I won't say my email address on the air, but if you reach out to me on Twitter, uh, we can figure that part out. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, so just a final thank you to our patrons and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, thank you, Rob, for coming on and talking about clouds. Oh, so it was a lot of fun. So uh, do it again to play some other topic. Sounds good. take a breath every now and then. Mm. <laughs>